0: You're listening to a Comics XF podcast.
1: I am vengeance. I am the
2: knight. I am Matt Lazowitz, and welcome to this week's episode of Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast. Where each week, my co-host, Will, Nevin, and I dig into three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on the big board. That's creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. Will, what's going on?
0: Matt, I've been better. Oh, no. So, I get home tonight, and, you know, I got a little trinket from Etsy, you know, in the, in the mailbox. I'm, oh, I'm going to go out to the mailbox and get it. I got new uh, a joystick toppers uh for nba jam the little basketballs you know gotta customize the the machine so i get that out and then i, I reach in the mailbox because i see it got something from the insurance company my fucking insurance company is always mailing me shit i'm like stop it give me the cards by law that i have to keep in my car otherwise keep the paperwork to yourself i don't want it because uh, I'm never sure. Like, are you sending me the cards? Or are you sending me some other, like, bill that's going to be auto-debited? Like, ugh, stop it. Tonight, not my night. I reach into my mailbox, and I feel something wet. Oh, dear. Matt, I pull out this insurance bill that or statement or whatever that has already touched my hand. It's a fucking slog, Matt. Ugh. A slimy-ass slug. And I'm like, uh, this is gross. I hate it. So my question to you tonight, uh, what has been one of your more disgusting encounters uh, with Mother Nature and or bugs and or animals uh, that you can recall?
2: Oh, I'm going to do my best to not gross too many people out. And uh I might have told this story before, but I'm going to go for it again because it's a winner, I think. Back when I was 10, 11, one of my household chores was to drag the trash cans out to the curb on Tuesday nights. This is why we have
0: kids, so somebody else can handle the trash.
2: Right. Well, it's Tuesday night, and I'm down there, and I go over, and I grab the trash can, and it's the summer. So I'm barefoot because it's it's all paved. It's it's not gravel. It's nothing like that. So I can go out barefoot. And as I start t- to move it, I feel something furry scurry across my barefoot. And there were, you know, various stray cats and rabbits and things. And I look down and the thing that is running away from me, I can only see behind it. That is not the tail of a bunny or a cat. Oh, no, that is a big fucking rat. Nah, Big rat just crawling over my feet. At which point I have little doubt I screeched like a 10 or 11 year old would and ran away from that trash. Can.
0: You know, I, I get how people have, have a thing with rats. I no, this is this is me not having like seen a rat up close and in person. If it's got fur, I'm okay with it. The slug is gross and slimy, but you know, fur. I, I think we can we can have some understanding there. I sat on a slug once. That was oh. incredibly unpleasant. Oh yeah. It just I, I remember I was I was at a subway once and it was a subway next to like uh a, like a, a field, it was like at the end of a shopping center. Have I told this story? No, the restaurant or going into the subway. Oh, the restaurant. Okay. We, we don't have subways down here, Matt. Uh, there we have no tra- public transportation to speak of. So, I'm, you know, I'm in line getting my sub and uh, as one does at subway. And there's some this, there's some commotion uh because there's a little field mouse like running through the store. And I'm like, it's just a, he's just a little guy. It's just a little guy. So I, I grabbed a cup because the people who worked there weren't doing anything. I grabbed a cup and I kind of scooped him into the cup. And it's like, all right, let's go outside, bud. Funny enough, this, this shame shopping center, they had become like locally famous on social media because somebody had filmed like field mice eating stuff in the grocery store that was a couple of shops down. So obviously- Having a shopping center next to this big open field, not ideal because uh, you get vermin that way. But uh, yeah, again, I just like some gross like sewer rat. Absolutely. I would probably be creeped out. But yeah, I can't get too upset about that. Although I certainly understand why little 10 year old Matt was upset. You mentioned
2: field mice. And I have no issue with mice. And I've I've met people who have pet rats and they don't bug me. This was this was dark. And I was young. Yeah, yeah. That, that was the problem. But it reminds me of a, a story and an encounter with with nature that always makes me laugh. No, and it's a story that I can I can talk about now because it's been a, a couple months, so I I can relay a story of my dear departed Bess. Bess was the world's worst cat at being a cat. <laughs> she was <laughs> real, real bad at it, and. This had to be 2014, early 2014, because we moved into, the, into our house at the end of 2013, and we hadn't been in the house a year. And on like a Tuesday, we come home. Bess did not come downstairs, and she was just up on the bed. And we poured her food, and she didn't come down. And the next couple of days, she's like barely coming down and we're, we're getting nervous because cats are supposed to eat. And Friday I get home and she actually comes down and I look, and she still hadn't eaten her food in the kitchen. This is weird. I pick up a bag of pretzels to have a snack and she's like perks up because it it shakes like her food bag. Like, is she hungry? Let me see something. I take her food and her water out of the kitchen, put them in the living room. She eats the entire bowl of food in like three minutes. Barfs because, you know, she ate too fast because she was a big old dummy. But yeah. Then she had more food. And I was like, okay, so the kitchen. So Amber and I are talking and we we're figuring it right. Maybe she was in there. A car backfired. Somebody pounded on the door like the utility guy. It freaked her out. Now she doesn't want to go in the kitchen. Great. Mystery solved. Saturday, the next day, get back from from a convention, actually, and walk into the kitchen. And there, where her food was, sitting there, having picked up one of the little fallen kernels of food, is this itty-bitty little field mouse. And it's just eaten. And so what we figured is that she came out at one point Saw the mouse, which she was not expecting. A little tiny mouse. And just ran away. I was able to quickly throw a washcloth over the mouse, drop a bowl over it, scoop it up, walk it two miles, drop it in a field. At which point I get home, I look at her, and I say, this is supposed to be your job. (laughs) You're the cat. Why am I doing your work? And then she was cute, and I gave in. Because that is what I did for a decade plus.
0: Yeah, you know, cats not not very bright animals. The, the thing that always cracks me up about a cat if they have some kind of bladder problem, you know, then they'll start going out of the the litter box because if, when it hurts to pee, they're in the litter box like, "Ow, it hurts to pee. Let me try peeing somewhere else." "Ow, it still hurts to pee. Let me try peeing somewhere else." I love them.
2: I love them to death, but yeah, not the brightest animal. How? But but it's this is not cat talk. This is not cat chat. This episode is not even like cat woman chat. No. Nope. nope. This is bat chat. And we've got a guest. Hey. Uh, let's let's welcome back to the show. Patreon backer, John Wickham.
1: John, how you doing? That's, I'm doing good. And I want to clarify, this is not the bat chat that's that you first get on when you search this on iTunes, which is about bats talk. We're talking about Batman. Yeah,
2: yeah. that, that is why we're bat chat with Matt and Will. There needs to be differentiation.
0: Yeah, but, that other bat chat—they're on notice. We're coming for them.
2: No one's copyrighted it though, so we're, we're we're still legally in the clear.
0: Oh man, don't we don't have enough time for me to correct you on that? So we'll just have to no. move on. Trademark? Uh yeah, it'd be a trademark. Uh, yes, yeah. uh,
2: uh, The minute it came out of my I was like, I think I said the wrong <laughs> thing. I think I used the wrong phrase.
0: It's okay. But- we, ha- we have a trademark in the show right now as it's being recorded. There we go. Uh, excuse me, we have a copyright. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I have to turn in my doctorate and my law degree. But yeah, we are here to talk Batman tonight. And
2: specifically, John is on for his request, which is stories of Batman and the Suicide Squad. So we're looking at three different iterations of the squad tonight.
0: Three very different iterations.
2: Yes. And we're starting with, we unsurprising to anyone who's listened to this show and heard me talk about creators, my favorite version. We are talking about Up Against the Wall. This is Suicide Squad, volume one, number 10. The writer is John Ostrander with pencils by Luke McDonnell, inks by Bob Lewis, colors by Julianne Ferreira, letters by Todd Klein, and edited by Robert Greenberger. The cover date is February of 1988. After a mission gone wrong, Suicide Squad has returned to Rev to try to pick up the pieces. But things get even worse as someone has infiltrated the prison to find evidence of the squad's existence. That someone? Batman. So we are 10 issues into what is, in all fairness, the definitive Suicide Squad run. This is the run that introduces the concepts of the squad as we know it, or defines it as it was introduced in the Legends crossover, but Ostrander was co-writer on that. So it was a kind of a backdoor pilot for this. And this is when the squad is starting to become a bit more a part of the wider DC universe. This issue might not be the first moment that defines Amanda Waller. There are some bigger moments in the earlier issues. But this is the one where after this, it's like, this is a this is a character you do not fuck with.
0: But it's strange how in this issue, she's not screaming constantly about how she's going to blow somebody's head up.
1: We'll get there. But I have something to say, too. This comic is a bunch of fallout from the DC event Millennium. What's yeah. a Millennium? Well, for the Batman side, it's the event where there was a robot, evil robot Jim Gordon, and it's an invasion by the Manhunters. So Batman goes to the Manhunter in Rev, who was out on at the time on a Suicide Squad mission. And because of that, Batman sort of figures out that the Suicide Squad exists.
0: Millennium is a wild event. Robot Jim Gordon, I think that sort of highlights that. This is a fun little standalone story. This does a great
2: job of giving you everything you need to know to understand the characters and the world it's existing in without inundating you with too much dialogue and too much backstory it introduces some new characters it introduces some concepts but at no point does it feel ponderous like you're sitting there being told ah and here is this character and this is their deal and here is this character and this is their deal you get that but you get it through character interaction
1: you get it through forwarding a plot and some
0: great action
1: oh yeah luke mcdowell and our team on this chef's kiss just amazing throughout and this has a really strong batman image when you first see him in costume
2: oh yeah that moment when they see him on the cameras
0: oh shit we've got trouble
2: Mm -hmm. and
0: it's the goddamn batman
2: right and What's great is that while Waller knows this is bad, nowhere in here does Waller ever feel like she isn't at least in control of herself. She knows this is bad. Let's
0: deal with it. And she's not a supervillain in this story. By the time we get to our third story, she's almost a supervillain. And I think this character works when she is somewhere in the gray, working for what she considers to be the greater good. Like, by the time we get to that third story, I think that thread is completely lost.
1: Listen, right now, DC is doing an event where Amanda Waller is causing havoc on the superhero community by letting them express their inner furry.
2: Yeah, oh, beast world. Don't worry, there's very little bat involved there, Well, A little bit of Nightwing. We're not going
0: to have
1: to cover that for
0: anything anytime soon.
1: Maybe be a weird Titans episode at some point, but that's <laughs> a long time away.
0: Look, until we start doing the uh, adults-only version <laughs> of this show, I, yeah, let's just leave that alone.
1: This podcast can't handle sexy wolf Batman.
2: You are absolutely right. Writers have not gotten Waller. For a while. And Ostrander created this character. She is an Ostrander creation. And he created her to be a character who exists in a nebulous moral gray. And I think a lot of writers, as much as you know, there are writers who are like, Yeah, you know, anti-heroes, they exist in this, you know, moral gray. It's like, no, 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 no. you Punishers, your Wolverines. They are theoretically heroes who kill. They don't exist in a moral gray because they exist with a very firm line on what they do and what is right and wrong to them. Waller absolutely exists in a place of moral gray. She will do things she does not believe are good because they are for the greater good.
1: I think Waller's gotten simplified by the fact that As time has gone on, we've learned more about the corruptness and government oversight, especially in, in other nations, of us just screwing around and causing chaos, and I think that's affected the way writers have seen Waller, so they've been playing up the darker aspects of her.
2: While leaving out the fact that she was a caring parent and wife, and the fact that they they'd retconned away her family during the new 52. And I think that is returned gradually with the adjustments made to continuity. But still, she was a fuller character versus the new 52 version,
1: say, who was just. We'll was, get to the new 52 yeah, version in, the, well, in this episode.
2: Oh, yeah. But she was on freaking Team 7 with Deathstroke yeah. and Grifter. And Black Canary. Yes. Oh, yeah. And Larry Lance. <laughs>
1: Again, fun Birds of Prey episode there.
2: Oh, yeah. But there's... This issue gives you so many different interesting character beats. Between the stuff with her, the stuff with Rick Flagg. This is the first appearance of Reverend Kramer, who is a major recurring ostrander character through this series and then into the specter so this is that character's first appearance and i'd forgotten that he appeared for the first time in this
1: issue this issue is not afraid to take out a lot of the suicide squad characters and not have them be in the issue captain boomerang not here bronze tiger not here nightshade not here It's really just Deadshot and Flag and new character Duchess that fight Batman. And I say Duchess in quotes because... I
2: don't want to necessarily say who Duchess is if you out there have not read Suicide Squad. But if you're reading this issue and you haven't, there's much more to Duchess than meets the
1: eye. Duchess has appeared in the comic before this under a different identity. Yes.
0: And
1: And she's a super... And she has superhuman powers. And that's all there is to Duchess that you need to know and, in this issue.
2: And this is the first time Batman has confronted Deadshot in a while. And I love I love Batman just making his way through this gauntlet. Well, first it's a bunch of guards. Ah, takes them out. Then Duchess, and she puts up a much bigger fight, but okay, he gets her. Then Deadshot, and then Rick Flag, and he would have gotten away with it if Waller didn't show up with everybody and being Waller. And that, that final scene, God, that is a great scene where she's just, she stands up to Batman. I've said it before, there are four, or five baseline humans in the DC Universe, non-costumed folk who can stand up to Batman. Alfred,
0: Gordon, Lois Lane, Amanda Waller. All right, let's talk about this ending here because I think it's kind of shit. I, I, I like I like Waller having this this character moment. Like, you're right in that she's standing up to Batman. But, 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 Batman's response. So the setup here is that Batman is a very low-key Matches Malone appearance. Yeah. Uh, he, is, he has basically broken into Bell Rev only to break out in like a great sequence and putting a lot of trust into the fact that oh nobody's gonna peek into this package for uh Jim Gordon, you know, his bat suit anyway. So
1: yeah. Batman's silent until the ending. You don't hear a word spoken from him until he's confronted by Waller.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's again it it, a great, like diehard Batman just issue, fun action. So we get to the end, and in this confrontation, Waller says, Okay, you wanna expose me? Fine. We know the alias you used. We have prints from the cell you were in. I will find your identity and to disclose you to the world uh, disclose you to the world if you do the same to me. So they they come to this détente and Batman's just like, "Okay, I guess you win." It's a very weak moment for Batman and it shows if look, if I'm just taking what's given to me in this one issue, It shows that he really didn't think through this plan, which means that, I mean, yeah, he should have thought about fingerprints. He should have thought about burning one of his best, you know, aliases. It's kind of screwy from Batman's perspective.
1: I can buy it. This is the 80s. Fingerprints and forensics were less known at the time. So I can buy Batman not taking for precautions at the time in the 80s when this story was published.
0: Oh, Johnny Boy. He's the world's greatest detective. He's the the inventor of forensic science in some stories. Uh, Oof, that's hard. I'm willing
2: to more think that he didn't expect anyone to stand up to him. He figured he was going to get in, he was going to get the evidence, and he was going to burn them. He views this as a political problem. If there was someone in Blackgate running a similar scam, he would go, he would confront that person, and they would fold. I think this is an indication of just the steel in Waller, that he's not used to anyone standing up to him.
0: Does, and we get notes of this, especially in the third story, Batman... I don't know so much in this story, but at least in the third one, Batman sees this as a moral wrong in that these these are criminals and criminals are criminals for whatever reason, but it's also putting them in harm's way against their will. And if Batman believes this to be a moral wrong for him to fold so easily, again, it it, it hurts me. It hurts me as someone who wants a strong Batman.
1: This is not the last time Batman appears in this book. Two issues later, he fights the squad in Russia with the JLI in a crossover with Keith Giffen.
0: Oh, let me go read that story real quick. (laughs) I believe there's also, when Waller is
2: reaming him out, I believe one other thing she said that, because there is something about that made me like, boy, Bruce should have thought about some of this. She specifically says, we know how you got in here. And he got in here because they did a favor for Jim Gordon. I take that as a tacit threat on Gordon. That's what would get him to back down. He can't burn Gordon. He might be willing to burn himself, but she's threatening Jim.
0: But then that just shows also what a bad plan he had.
2: Wasn't a great plan. Yeah, I think that's what it boils down to that. Batman isn't perfect. And I think that every now and then, him making a bad decision proves that he's human.
1: And the way this issue ends with Rick Flag being all angry that because of the events that he took on leading the squad of criminals known as the Suicide Squad, he had to fight Batman, a guy he knows certifiably is a hero. So that makes him give some commitment, which allows Waller to put him back as field leader. Because the main events for the run are, is a struggle between whether Rick Flag's going to stay on the squad or leave after the events where his girlfriend died last issue.
2: Question, in piecing any of this together, just I'm curious, Will, the scenes with Waller talking to the two people who are working for her, one of them is Flo, who's a character who doesn't, appear elsewhere the guy who's in those scenes did you realize who that is
0: oh sort of
2: pudgy guy with the glasses
0: pudgy guy is it pudgy guy with glasses from the show yes
2: that's economos from peacemaker
0: it makes sense yeah
2: i was like oh yeah he was in this book for a while there it's like yeah that is the same character from peacemaker
0: that's some good casting
2: yeah. Oh yeah. He looks very much like the, the actor who plays him.
0: Well, I completely
2: understand your point. Well, I I'm willing to forgive this. There is a little bit of the, what's the, the wrestling. Waller getting, getting Waller over. over. Yeah. This is especially early in that character's history. So this is a moment that you give her to stand up
0: to Batman to show that she's formidable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to you book her strong at the expense of Batman. Yeah, 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 fine. It I'm keeping Batman ha- at the top of my promotion.
2: It doesn't happen often. And she doesn't
0: embarrass him completely. And it's pretty close. He just kind of meekly leaves with his tail between his legs. In the face of, again, what he considers to be a moral wrong. But he also is flat out
2: warns them, I'll be back. Not like she she's gonna recruit him into the suicide squad
0: at this point. But yeah, like, I would I would say Batman does a job here. Absolutely does a job. One, two, three. Clean as a sheet.
1: I mean, at least he was shown as fighting skill-wise, pretty damn excellent in this job.
0: He got in his offense. He got in a couple of finishers, but he still did the job in the end. And just the way he makes it through, it's really
2: well-done sequence. And McDonald draws the hell out of it. Oh, I,
0: the layout's pristine.
1: Love it. This is a comic where Waller gets over Batman, but Batman is very close to getting over Waller. It shows Waller's quality as a leader because the lesser person would have just went home when when they got the news from the office. Yes,
2: yeah, so when you find out it's Batman, most people are just gonna, they're, they're gonna give up. But no, not Amanda Waller. So I think we've we've hit the high points on this one.
1: This is the first time you're gonna have Suicide Squad on the list, but not the last. There are at least four other Batman stories in that run. The, the
2: first volume, then we get into the later volumes. He pops up consistently, especially because like so many of the squad characters wind up being bat related, more so the later you get the more recent iterations, as we will
1: see.
0: But- like because me. Batman sells books.
1: Like a Suicide Squad book was announced today with Harley Quinn on it, for example. Again. Yep. That's, but we'll, we'll have more Harley Quinn talk right after you get uh, to breaking this one. Run,
0: run, run. That groan of impending things to come means it's time. But Suicide Squad number 10 up against the wall on the big boy!
2: We've got 348 stories on the big board. God number, damn. Number one is the post-crisis origin of Batman. Batman year one. Number 50 is Identity Crisis. Not that one. The first
0: appearance of Tim Drake in his own Robin costume. And still at a family-friendly 69, it's Batman and Robin and a Howard.
2: At 100 is the Silver Age story, Robin Dies at Dawn. At 150 is the first arc of Gotham Academy. At 200 is zero year. At 250 is year two. At 300, we've got Flashpoint, Batman, Night of Vengeance. And all the way at the bottom, still Curse of the White Knight.
0: Boo. Uh, Okay, so this is the story of the night. Yes. Yes. I think undoubtedly, without question, and John, what was what was your uh, suggestion?
1: Impulse? I threw Impulse 50 as a gauging point because that's another story where Batman is kind of a supporting character in another person's book.
0: That is at uh, 115 uh, currently. Um, I'd say this is better than that. I agree. I do not
2: think it tops another Ostrander I think a ceiling here, at least for me, is Dark Genesis up at 89. That story with the Batman comic book. Batman hunting the killer who's inspired by the bootleg Batman comic. The two different art styles.
0: Mm. Uh, That's tough. Because again, this is such a a, just a good little one-off action story. I am loathe to enjoy action in in the current runs uh but this was just, just such a nice story I mean I would definitely put it closer to I was just looking at the list what you what? I I put it closer to 89 than 115. uh yeah. so I I think this is top 100 yeah it cracks
2: the top 100 I'm trying to see what other ostrander we have on here so the oh, the Ostrander exists in a pretty tight pocket right here. All of the stories we've covered from Ostrander are in between 50 and 100. Savage Innocence up at 52, Loyalties at 77, Oracle Year One at 85, and Dark Genesis at 89. This does not beat. It definitely does not top that Spectre issue at 52. I mean, I'm willing to fluctuate a little on that 89... But I don't think it beats loyalties at 77. The Jim Gordon has to go back to Chicago.
0: Oh, that was a good story.
1: Yeah. And I'm going to throw this out there. Oracle year one might probably more important.
0: It is.
1: To Batman specifically.
0: Yeah. Uh, how about how about this then? Because uh, Hush sucks. How about somewhere between 89 and see. me, I was about to screw up. Um, Somewhere between 85 and 87. Uh, So this is, I'd say, either right below Oracle Year One or right below and right above Hush. So it's uh, either, to me, 86 or the new 87.
2: I'm trying to think
1: about where I feel this is
2: in relation to Return of Scarface, whether this is above or below Return of Scarface.
1: I'll give this book this. It's been reprinted more times as a best of than Return of Scarface.
2: True. Return of Scarface, though, does something really interesting with Batman in that it's got that bit with, you know, Vicky Vale, who Bruce has feelings for, and him struggling with whether or not he's allowed to have those feelings and not feeling jealousy over her, seeing her with someone else. It's rare that you see that humanity in Bruce. And while I guess you can see a little bit of that here with him giving in to Waller, it feels more in character there than it does here. New 87 then? New 87. A very good
1: showing. Probably the last time we'll be near the top 100 tonight.
2: Yes.
1: I mean, I like the third story a lot, but... But it's not better than 100.
0: Right. You know what's a time in comics that everybody loves, Matt? What's
1: that, Will? Oh, oh, oh. Is it Marvel now? Uh, oh, oh.
0: Different show. <laughs> yeah, let's do a new
2: 52 story. Yeah, we are going to be heading into The Hunt for Harley Quinn.
1: We're skipping two Suicide Squad series, one that had Sergeant Rock as the lead. And the other was a John Ostranger reunion joint for this volume, which, well, continue.
2: Uh, This is Suicide Squad, volume four, numbers six to seven. The writer is Adam Glass, with pencils by Clayton Henry and Iguara, inks by Henry and Scott Hanna, colors by Val Staples and Hi-Fi Design, letters by Jared K. Fletcher, and edited by Pat McCollum and Sean Makowitz. The cover dates are April to May of 2012. Harley Quinn has slipped Amanda Waller's leash and returned to Gotham to determine if rumors of the Joker's demise were true. The rest of the squad is sent after her to bring her back in quietly. Alive or dead,
0: that's optional. So this is an excuse for me to talk about Adam Glass, because it was a, a writer who I interviewed for one of his Aftershock books when Aftershock still existed. Uh, Rough Riders, by the way. Rough Riders, much better than this story. But, you know, I'm soft for alternate history. Uh, but anyway, uh, I interview him for this book, and the interview goes well. Like I have a good time. Then later that night, I'm on my way to eat dinner, and I get a phone call from Aftershock's, like, press guy, just apoplectic that I had asked, or maybe this was before the interview. Or, I don't know. Anyway, I had asked Adam for a copy of the book so I could you know, read it uh, and be prepared for the interview. The press guy is absolutely apoplectic that I asked Adam for a copy of his book. He was like, oh my God. And I'm like, my man, chill the fuck out. It's like eight o'clock. I'm about to eat dinner. You leave me alone. The press guy for Aftershock was so bad and was so just like consistently an asshole. Me? The guy who was running NewsRama at the time, and Heidi, uh, Heidi Yeah, yeah. The three of us together went to Mike Martz, and we're like, "Your press guy sucks ass. He's fucking terrible. Why do you use him? Get rid of him." And Mike's like, "I, we, we've had. We didn't know he was that bad." And he stayed on until the damn thing went under just a miserable human being
2: i have heard you're not the first person who i have heard that he was terrible from
0: i had pleasant interactions with every other uh publisher that i ever dealt with right maybe we don't see eye to eye on everything you know maybe some of our inquiries go ignored but only he was outright hostile big fucking asshole fuck you aaron and yet, still better
2: to talk about the this book.
0: Oh, yes. Oh, my God. This S- is a big turn. So big turn. Listen, The New 52
2: was full of many a book that can only be described as Edgelordy. But Suicide Squad was the Edgelordiest of Edgelord comics.
1: 2016 Suicide Squad movie? 100% inspired by this, Ron.
2: Oh, absolutely. This gives us Booty Shorts' corset Harley. It took them how long to get her into a costume that was not so much male gaze that it practically gouged your eyes out.
0: This is quite the nadir for all character designs, this story here.
1: I mean, I don't know. I think King Shark looks pretty fine.
2: He does, but it, it's always struck me as weird as their thing was, well, you know, we have this other character, the shark, who no one has used or heard about in, you know, 20 years. King Shark is a more well-known character, but they can't both be great whites. So we're going to change the design on King Shark. Why? Why not just continue not using the shark and have King Shark? Continue to be a great white. I mean, they eventually phase him back into that from the hammerhead. But it just struck me as, I guess, them wanting a more distinct visual?
1: A later on run on the book would solve that problem by killing off the shark. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. The Tom Taylor one. Yeah, I'd forgotten that.
2: But, yeah, no. Deadshot is over-designed in this clunky armor, which... For a guy who's, you know, a sniper and has to, you know, theoretically climb and get into position, putting him in that heavy constraining costume doesn't make a ton of sense. Savant, who went from an anti-hero pre-52 into a complete asshole here.
1: He appears once in the issue after, and he is never seen again. It was an issue one, he came back for this two-part story... And appears in a brief aside next issue.
2: And let's not forget Limelight, who came out of Green Arrow apparently, and also yep. never... Judd Winnick.
1: I think that was Judd Winnick's Green Arrow run in the New Fifty Two. That book was not good until Jeff Lemire came on.
2: And can I say this? The first part of this it shows you. How interconnected they were trying to make the new 52. There are no less than three see this other comic boxes in the first 10 pages of this book.
1: I know there was the detective one, but what were the other two?
0: Green well, Arrow. Well, on the oh. second page, you've got Green Arrow. The third page, you got Stormwatch. And Detective for when they reference Joker's face.
1: Why would Stormwatch be involved?
2: But, well, I'm, that was because Waller was watching the Watchtower crash because they wanted to do this sort of forced, cohesive universe.
1: Oh, I, I know. I'm just like, I, I was thinking, were the Damonites somehow involved in this? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. there's a bunch of weird stuff from the first year of the New 52 that barely goes into the Batman universe.
0: So you've got the weird stuff going on with uh, with the shark. Um, you've got the the weird costume for Deadshot. Oh, uh, by the way, got...
1: we got our first Shark Watch of the episode. Ah, <laughs> uh, Shark Watch. Yep,
0: you beat me to it. But yes,
2: indeed, we got we got plenty of Shark Watch this week.
0: You've got one of the I'd say all time worst looks for Harley Quinn. And then you have Amanda Waller, who is suddenly, what, 25? 30? Yeah, if that.
1: Can I just throw this out there? When I was watching DC Properties, one of the big things I was into was the Arrowverse. And the Amanda Waller in that series was kind of... You can tell that this book and that series was coming out at the same time. Because Amanda Waller on that show is terrible.
2: Yeah, no, they absolutely were trying to mirror those two. And I I think this would have been before
1: Arrow. It's before Arrow by at least. Law didn't get introduced until the second season. Arrow came around in 2012. So it would have been closer to Villains Month when that happened, but...
2: because Green Arrow is more akin to Smallville Green Arrow for the first year of that book. And then by the time Lemire takes over, Arrow is out and they're trying to get that to be a little more copacetic. It's why Diggle shows up during that
1: run. And the stuff with Amico Queen, which is really fascinating about the way that adaption process works because Miko Queen eventually shows up on Arrow, and this is a lot of Arrow talk, but i big fan of the DC Arrowverse, and yes. sad it's dead now. Yeah.
0: So but, yeah. I complained about all of the little things that are wrong in this book. Matt, how about you uh, talk about the big things that are wrong here? Well, the biggest thing
2: that is wrong here is for all of the problems one might have with Mad Love... That Harleen Quinzel is absolutely gaslit, but once she becomes Harley, she never looks back. She breaks the Joker out of Arkham, chooses to become Harley Quinn, and that's the way it is. I don't know if it quite qualifies as agency because she's been manipulated by the Joker, but she makes that choice. Here... You get the same basic setup, but then she has this moment of remorse. And instead of keeping her with any form of agency, at that point, Joker pushes her into the vat of chemicals. So dumb. This, again, gives us the origin that they will use in the Suicide Squad movies. That aspect of her origin hasn't changed.
1: They made it so her skin's always bleach white instead of her just putting on makeup.
2: Right. Comes from here. Yes. But it removes at least what little agency Harley is given before she makes her choice to stop being with Joker by having him symbolically force himself upon her by shoving her into the, vo- the vat of chemicals.
0: It's ugly. And it's... Putting a hat on a hat, right? You don't need to just redo the Joker origin. That's just It's so so lazy. That's the big one. But
2: we also have what might be one of the creepiest sequences in a series of various things that are all manner of creepy with Harley strapping the Joker's severed face onto Deadshot and kissing it.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's bad.
1: Yeah. The Deadshot Harley thing is a running theme through exactly this volume of the book. When the new Suicide Squad comes out later on, that's dropped, but Harley Quinn and Deadshot have already had sex at this point, and there's romantic undertones through the rest of this run between
0: the two. It's That's strange bad.
2: strange because it does not seem in character for either of them. Yeah. Um, and, and let's not forget the somewhat, I, I felt, kind of transphobic comments when a bunch of Joker goons pop up dressed in Harley's terrible costume. There are definitely some transphobic jokes made there. That's charming. Yeah.
1: The Suicide Squad parts of this book, you talked a lot about the Harley parts. The Suicide Squad parts are also terrible. This book has Lime and Light. It does the thing where, spoiler, one of them dies. I believe it's Lime. Gets blown up by Amanda Waller because she was about to talk about the squad. Because it must be kept secret. Yeah, that's dumb. And you'd think that'd be setting up Light being a foreign in Amanda Waller's side. She dies two issues later in a crossover with Resurrection Man. This
0: body count seems really high. So much gore and murder. I don't know. I just, I did not enjoy this story for any number of reasons.
1: Yeah. This run of the Suicide Squad had one trick, and it was just graphically murdering characters. After
2: Adam Glass leaves, there's a very short run from i can't remember who There's writes a four
1: issue run by alex cox and then the book goes into a tie in with forever evil with a different writer
2: right the 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 alex Cox one with jim jr is an interesting few issues and then it just goes away
1: but damn you forever evil
2: oh yeah we're gonna get there at some point the, when you're talking about the scene when waller blows up Lime or Light or whichever one, the top of that page has a panel that absolutely bugs me because Lime or Light, whichever one the GCPD has grabbed, is starting to talk. And the look on Waller's face in that panel isn't anger. It seems to be almost a look of panic. Wow, you do not get Amanda Waller if you are having her look afraid. She's cold. If she's feeling like someone's going to talk, she's not going to be nervous about it. She's just going to say, I'm going to do it, and then she would do it. This is not a person who gets nervous.
0: And see, this is an interesting complaint that you have for this panel. It's hard to know who to put that on, whether it's the writer or the artist, because the faces here are so bad in terms of conveying emotion. This has to be one of the worst drawn Jokers I think we've read. It's so bland. How do you fuck up Joker and make him boring?
1: Here's the thing. I think this two-parter is better art than the rest of the series add up to this point.
0: Yeah, the
2: art on this book is white rough. And most of this stuff gets ignored. Like There's this whole thing with... The Joker talking to Harley about her father being killed in a car accident by a rich guy who got off. Uh, yeah, Harley's dad is a recurring character in the Palmiotti and Connor series and was a recurring character in, or at least popped up once or twice in Gotham City Sirens pre-52. So all of that is just ignored
0: because it's dumb. Well, this this guy here was a father figure for Harley. That oh. she was really upset that when he died.
2: Okay, I must have misread it in my just general frustration at
0: this. No, 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 no. no. I'm 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 just shitting you, Matt. Oh, okay. Trying to yeah. trying to, to reconcile all of that.
1: Oh, all right. I, yeah. Uh, Good job, Will.
2: Yeah. Thank you. You had me there for a second, and was, I like, know. anything to explain the the mess. Oh, and. Just as a personal other artistic quibble, and this is with this entire run as well, how dare you take away Deadshot's bitchin' mustache? That Deadshot has no mustache in this? Deadshot has had that mustache since his first appearance. At least some manner of mustache. Whether it was the pencil mustache of the golden age or his big, chunky, down-his-cheeks of the Secret Six era, Deadshot always has a mustache.
1: But how would the artist know how to chew the... Do that when you haven't done your Deadshot episode yet.
2: My planned Ostrander-centric episode will definitely have the Deadshot miniseries. That is a good-ass miniseries. This was one of the most problematic of the new 52 titles. Probably up there with Teen Titans and probably some of the ones that have been just completely forgotten. Oh, and Catwoman. Voodoo. Oh, yeah, Voodoo.
1: Voodoo was one I had to think about for a second as another, well, that's too long to go into.
2: Yeah, this is not a good series. This is not a good run. This is not a good arc. How many times in here does Deadshot threaten to shoot Savant's balls off? At least twice.
0: That's a good joke.
2: Yeah. Okay, I I, I think we're, I got
0: nothing else.
1: God bless you when you have to do the death in the family part of this run.
0: <laughs> Boo. Alright. That means aside side with Suicide Squad number six and number seven on the big
1: board. I got I one. S- oh, I got okay. one. Is it wor- better or worse than the Nightwing's new 52 origin?
0: Oh, that's tough. That's That's literally like all the way down there. That is the
2: highest of those. That that is down at 295. So it's not down there with like the red hood one at 343.
0: Uh, I did have 275 picked as a ceiling for this. That was that was gonna be as high as that I would go.
1: Yeah. I was just looking for another new 52 origin to compare it to.
2: You know the classic rule of well that nightwing one's only one issue and
0: this is two and well we're 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 about to get to something that should have been like three issues instead of what felt like 15 so i i'm not gonna begrudge this this two issues of bad i don't
2: think this beats the nightwing one i think it probably is better than the tim drake one down at 320 so we're somewhere between 295 and 320. Okay. It is, for whatever fault it has, more cogent than Spawn Batman at 312.
0: That's very true. That's.
2: But that looks better than this. This is very bland. Yes. Spawn Batman is many things, bland is not one
0: of them. Again, one of the worst jokers I've ever seen. I would reread Master of the Future again before I reread this. Yeah.
2: How about the new 315? <sighs> Below that, how Jason Todd came back from the dead, which is pretty dumb, but above Arrow and the Bat, which is five really long issues of Batman and Green Arrow. Yeah. Yeah
1: let's so, do that okay
2: and our final story of the night is justice league versus suicide squad this is a six issue miniseries the writer is joshua williamson brace yourselves folks with pencils by jason fabuck tony s daniel jesus marino frando Passerin, robson rocha and howard porter inks by Fabok. Sandra Floria, Andy Owens, Matt Ryan, Jay Leistein, Daniel Enriquez, Eau Claire, Albert, and Porter. Colors by Alex Sinclair and Jeremiah Skipper. Letters by Rob Lee. And edited by Brian Cunningham, Ariana Turturo, Jessica Chen, Harvey Richards, and Andy Corey. Cover dates are February to March of 2017. The Justice League has learned of the existence of the Suicide Squad and they're ready to stop Amanda Waller's covert team. But another master manipulator, Maxwell Lord, has plans of his own, as well as a team of his own, and he plans to bring peace to the world in a way that neither team will approve. Can they join forces to stop Max from getting the ultimate weapon he needs to complete his sinister plot?
0: I'm so mad, Matt. (laughs) I'm so very fucking mad. About? I did extra work. Instead of just reading the miniseries, I read uh, The Trade, which collects a handful of other things. And they added precisely nothing.
1: I can tell you what those tie-ins are off the top of my head.
0: Uh, Well, one is a little Steve Trevor story. And the other is a shit-ass epilogue that was just so weak and pathetic. And then... Probably some other stuff I glossed over.
1: One was a Maxwell Lord origin. The other one was the bad mission that the first suicide squad did. We'll get into the first suicide squad and the wild ass choices of who is on it when we get there.
0: But yeah, do not uh, get the trade. It is not worth it. Just get those six issues. So maybe, this- maybe just do it like. One, three, and five. That's probably good. Just get half of the issues. It's good enough.
1: I, I would say the issues two, four, and six would be the issues you re
0: This is the
2: first crossover in the Rebirth era. This is the first sort of big event in Rebirth. It was also weekly, which explains the fact that each issue has a different penciler. To make sure it came out on time, I guess they had all the six scripts and they were just like, all right, you, 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 and you, go to town. Have fun. They're all fairly house-style, DC house-style artists. Some are a little bit flashier than others. Faybuck is probably the flashiest. Porter is probably the most traditional.
1: Porter's the one you can tell is... The most different on these books. Yeah. In his final in the final issue.
2: Which might be they gave it to him because he's fast. I would think that the last one might have gotten to them later, and they gave it to the guy who historically has been able to get his stuff done fairly quickly. There are a shit ton of characters in this event.
1: Do you want to start off with the Justice League, the Suicide Squad, or the Mysterious Third Party?
0: Yeah. The Z-Team.
1: Your Justice League is... This is Brian Hill's Justice League, a run that has a lot of weird time travel stuff, which is very boring. Somehow very boring.
2: That hitch run is not good. It's so strange that that run lasted as long as it did, and why you would give Brian Hitch, who did not have a ton of writing credits before this, your flagship book launching out of this event or uh, the Rebirth event, not. But Justice
1: League, but Justice League on this book is the OG Superman, not the new Fifty Two Superman because he was dead. This is the Superman who came back from the post-crisis universe into the new 52 universe through Convergence. Two Green Lanterns, the pair of Green Lanterns on Earth, Simon Baz and Jessica Cruz, who is Jessica Cruz, the best Green Lantern.
0: I love Jessica.
1: It's Cyborg, who's still a founding member of the Justice League. It's Aquaman and... Wonder Woman and Batman, who learned about the Suicide Squad because of the events of I Am Suicide, the Tom King run.
2: And Barry. So Barry Allen, not Wally West yet. I mean, it's a pretty standard Justice League. And the Suicide Squad here is pretty much the Suicide Squad from the David Ayers movie.
1: It's Harley Quinn, Captain Boomerang, Deadshot. El Diablo, who was not really in the run going in at the time. Uh,
2: Rick Flag, Flag, Katana. Katana.
1: And Brock, yeah, because a cool fish man would have been too expensive for your dark gritty movie with the Enchantress.
2: Oh, and Enchantress. Yes.
1: Yeah, she she's a major player, but the biggest player from the Suicide Squad in this book, besides Amanda Waller, is Killer Frost. This special guest member. Right.
2: Who is there again, as we said with the previous, almost to get over so she can become a marquee member of the new Justice League of America, which will be the Justice League title that will actually tie into what's going on in the DC Universe, as opposed to the Hitch Run, which sort of took place kind of off to the side and never really had anything to do with what was going on elsewhere.
1: Killer Frost is in this book because the Flash series was going on at this point and when Snow in that series was becoming Killer Frost around that time in a confusing sort of way.
2: Synergy. Yeah. And then we have Max Lord's team, which
1: is... The most fun mix of characters.
2: And which is a fascinating choice... Because it feels like a lot of it is there to start laying seeds for Doomsday Clock.
1: And they're seeds that do not pay
2: off! No! As with nearly everything that was leading into Doomsday Clock, none of it actually factored into Doomsday Clock. It is second only to Countdown to Final Crisis in an event where there was all of this buildup that never actually plays out in the thing that it was building towards.
1: Can we throw out the names? Yes. On that team, it's Maxwell Lord, who is who has psychic powers, and you talked about last week, I think.
2: A little bit. Max didn't feature too heavily in any of those stories, but it was just a little snippets of him. But yeah, we got Max. We've got, well, the reintroduction of the classic Lobo, as opposed to the new 52 sexy Twilight Lobo,
1: that the DC universe needed a full reboot for the sexy Twilight Lobo to work.
2: Doctor Polaris, who's definitely the almost the strangest inclusion here, is that is a really classic character that's been around since the 60s, but it's just a strange drop to include him in with. Johnny Sorrow, a Justice Society villain who made a pact with the Elder Gods. Emerald Empress, a Legion of Superheroes villainess, so a time-displaced character. And Rustam, a character from the original Suicide Squad run, the Ostrander run, a villain from there. I wonder where this collection of characters came from.
1: I'm going to throw it out there. I like the way that this book has a three-act structure that has the Suicide Squad and the Justice League fighting in three different ways. So the title's not a lie throughout the series. That is
2: true. I'd wager, Will, this is one of these books that, on top of, yes, it probably being a, it being a bit on the long side, you're completely
0: lacking in so much of the context here. Yeah, but i I felt like I... I wasn't missing out on a whole lot. I mean, I, I did have the tie-in stuff, but I mean, how many times can the Justice League be taken over? How many times can the world be, you know, conquered by some alien mystical force? Like, the conclusion to this, to this story and the way that basically the world ended... I was like, this this thing exhausts me. So I, I I didn't even mind so much the characters. It's just the overall story beats that I thought were entirely lame.
2: This is why you're
0: not an Avengers or a Justice League person, because th- this is a Tuesday. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and that's the problem with all of these team books. By the time you need to get a team together, it's a world ender. And that has to be every single story. And God damn it, I just want the world to end. I want I want these characters to suffer defeat, and that be the end. There we go. All right,
1: All right. can I just say, in the three-act structure, can we break it down into three acts? First act, the Suicide Squad is in a mission on a different country, but Justice League intercepts them. But Justice League fights the Suicide Squad. Killer Croc eats, tears a shark in half. Shark Watch! Shark Watch! The Suicide Squad pretty much loses, except Killer Frost pulls out a major move at the last second, freezing the Justice League, winning the day for the Suicide Squad. Part two is the Justice League and the Suicide Squad are in Belle Reeve now together, and they team up against the original Suicide Squad, led by Maxwell Lord. It's a okay fight. And part three, we get our introduced to the secret villain of the event.
0: Ooh, secret
2: villain. Who is lame? Eclipso, as a concept, you don't get the full thing here, but Eclipso is Eclipso is uh, Spectre 1.0. Literally, Eclipso was God's first angel of vengeance that went too far and was thus imprisoned in the heart of darkness. It is every dark urge of humanity
1: So Eclipso takes over the Justice League and has them fight the Suicide Squad. So the Suicide Squad, with Batman as the leader, has to fight the Justice League. Justice League wins. The end.
2: It is a very traditional superhero event. This is not the kind of thing we get a ton of on this show because Batman stories work often in a slightly different way than a Superman story or especially a Justice League story. This kind of thing is designed to be a slobber knocker. It's designed to be big. It's designed to not have the subtlety. It's not Batman year one fighting mobsters. And we talk that,
0: about of Batman? course, uh, is the Batman story that I could read forever.
1: But Batman is in this story and he is pretty much a dick. Yes.
2: Yes, this is actually more akin to the Batman we talked about last week when interacting with the JLI than with the Batman we've gotten used to. This is a Batman who... It feels like the whole thing is to get him to the point he's at at the end, which should be your baseline for where Batman is. Someone who believes in redemption, who believes that people can change. If he didn't, he would not have given Harvey Dent 6,000 passes. The Batman here seems to be, oh, well, you've taken a life. So you're irredeemable, which is not in character for Batman.
1: I'm going to say something nice about this book. It has some great Superman moments in it?
2: It does. The end with him and Caitlin is a great moment. All the stuff between him and Caitlin is great. This feels like Williamson who is I feel has gotten a little bit better in his handling of Batman over time, but here it really feels like he's writing Batman and Superman as yin and yang as Batman is cold and is, this is a more lawful neutral than chaotic good Batman. This is a Batman who feels very much like you follow this specific set of this moral code, my moral code and if you break from that, you are lost versus a chaotic good Batman. It's it's about the greater good, it's about finding the right way to do things versus a specific hidebound code. Batman's code is he has that one, the one rule, but everything else is flexible. Not this Batman. This Batman is very much. I have all these rules and the minute you break them, you're, you're dead.
1: You're out. Except he realizes he's wrong. Killer Frost chooses to save people when Eclipso tries to take over her heart.
2: And he does blow up Lobo's head. Um, which,
1: I mean, I know you don't like Lobo. So how satisfying was that moment for you? Uh, uh, who
0: does like Lobo? I would like them to stand up and be counted. And for them to explain themselves.
2: My problem with Lobo is more that so much of Lobo is people not getting the joke. The joke is Lobo is supposed to be a parody. And then he was taken so damn seriously for so long. It's like, no, no, he he was, he was a parody of the late 80s, early 90s characters you would not have wanted to get Keith Giffen started on people not getting
0: the joke with Lobo.
1: Well, you had thoughts about Amanda Waller.
0: Yes.
1: Amanda Waller.
0: At the time or at the point where you are basically ordering the death of Superman. I, I think the character has gone too far, especially when her motivation is, Oh my God, we've got to keep the league a secret. The squad. Uh, excuse me, the squad. That's that's good, 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 good correction there. What what is what is even happening? What is even happening in this story? And then, oh my God, don't don't even get me started on this convoluted ass ending that turns out to be, aha! It is not Maxwell Lord who is the great uh, mastermind here. It is, in fact, Amanda Waller who orchestrated everything. She orchestrated the apocalypse
2: for reasons. The whole thing turns out to be a Xanatos gambit. No matter how this thing plays out in the end, Waller wins. And yes, that is taking the basic concept of Waller and stretching it into a Machiavellian mastermind. Versus just a hyper-competent bureaucrat.
1: This is the Amanda Waller who's doing Beast right now.
2: Yeah, this is one who's partnered with The Light. The best Waller stories, the Ostrander stuff, the first two seasons of uh, Justice League Unlimited, it's not like she can't throw down. But she's not playing these games. And she's not actively evil. And here, as you said, she threatens. You I know, mean, she's like, "Yeah, kill Superman." I was like,
0: no, but let's be clear about just the the level of catastrophe we're dealing with here. The Maxwell Lord Eclipso thing, base, and this is borne out more in the uh, the Steve Trevor tie-in. It is basically a zombie story, in that these people are given into their darkest impulses. Although in some points they're just like rambling nonsense and it gets way too close into like crossed territory for me. Cause (laughs) in that Steve Trevor story, one lady's like, I wonder what my dog tastes like. So I'm going to cut open my dog and eat her. It truly is the end of the world, right? There's, there's no coming back after eating your dog. And then for this whole story to wrap up with like, oh yeah, I planned all that to happen. Like, no, I just didn't. You're care a for liar. That at all.
1: You're a liar, Amanda Waller. You're letting Maxwell Ward lie to you. I, there are superhero companies that clean up the damage.
2: Yeah, I mean it it <laughs> there's it's a trope of the genre. That's the thing. The hardcore superhero comic, your Justice Leagues, your Avengers, your Justice Societies, your X-Men in a lot of cases.
1: You're Batman for the past few years.
0: Mm. Ugh, don't get me started on that.
2: They are stories where there are these catastrophes and then people just shrug their shoulders and go on with their lives. Is it not true to reality? Yes. Would these stories in the long run probably be better if the repercussions of this kind of stuff was dealt with probably, but that could also give you heroes
0: in crisis. Every other issue. But I, I really was reading this thinking about, you know, if say Superman under whatever influence doesn't matter, stormed the white house and, you know, basically pulled a kneel before Zod on the president yeah, If this was the real world, he would never, and I mean never, never, ever, 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 be trusted again. That would be the end of Superman, which is be the end
1: of the Justice League. Read Invincible. I think you may like that.
2: Yes, that is stuff that Kirkman investigates in Invincible. And I think we've talked about this before. It's a fundamental truth of the dc universe that the heroes are trusted there it's the difference between the marvel universe and the dc universe and it's the way when the avengers and the justice league switch worlds the avengers can't get over how much the justice league is loved and trusted because they can't believe that the only way that's happening is if they're mind controlling people because people don't trust costumed people like that. And the Justice League looks at the Marvel universe and is like, what kind of horrible heroes are these that nobody trusts them? We're going to do Grant Morrison's Earth 2 at some point, which is the introduction of the crime syndicate post-crisis. But there, there's this whole idea that the nature of the antimatter universe where the crime syndicate comes from means that evil always wins it's the nature of that universe there's an argument to be said that the nature of the dc universe is one that bends towards the belief in heroism
1: except dc except in dc comics going on right now
2: yes and that is something of a bother to me that it's so you're, you're just basically doing every Third Avengers story where suddenly the government and the people don't trust the Avengers. The Justice League has never really done that because if you want to read that, go and read the Avengers. There are also a few very intentional nods to pre 52 canon here of fight between Flag and Rustam. Here is a nod to Flag's death pre-52, which took place with a battle with Rustam. And Waller and Eclipso have a considerable history as well. And that's, again, not including all of the nods to Emerald Empress and Johnny Sorrow talking about how the universe is weird and different. And I believe lines from the Suicide Squad with Croc saying that he'd encountered Aquaman before at Amnesty Bay and Aquaman not remembering and Harley talking about how she knows Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman not remembering, which, again, was all hints of the alterations, to the timeline of Dr. Manhattan that would become Doomsday Clock, but is never really paid off.
1: I think Aquaman was just going through a tough time where he was seen in, as a villain and a terrorist in his book at the time.
2: That is true as well. That was an, a slightly different thing because so much of...
1: That was a Black Manta thing. And and that leads to one of the better moments of the book where Aquaman's like, Well, what if the Suicide Squad had Black Manta doing crimes? They did. Yep, that was the previous <laughs> run. Black
2: Manta and Deathstroke, noted child killer and noted human trafficker, two real great people right there.
1: Yay! He's only in the first arc of that run.
2: Yeah, that run. I mean, that run didn't last terribly long either, though.
1: It, th- it lasted sixteen issues, and okay. then and then another guy wrote an arc to close out the book before before the rebirth relaunch
2: this is a lot crammed into six issues and it's
1: did you guys like the art in this book i think
2: the art was yeah i mean i thought the art was all really solid superhero art i mean i like fay buck a lot i mean howard porter i mean my goes back to you know the morrison justice league days I mean, Tony Daniel is, is a solid. All of these are really solid superhero artists. The, the fight scenes were clear and crisp. You never felt lost. The character designs were consistent across artists. Six issues and six artists is tricky. But I think they at least—it's not like you had Riley Rossmo who drew the first Suicide Squad crossover, who's an artist I like, but whose style does not fit with the rest of these. It's not like you threw a Riley Rossmo in the middle of one of these because that would have been jarring.
0: Uh, the the tie-ins are jarring, but these these main six issues—they they are compared to the tie-ins—they are more or less the same.
1: Our reporter's final issue is a little more playful with the lines, but that works because of the Eclipso nightmare feel towards it. I, I just wanted to get some art talk before we rank yeah. this, baby.
0: Uh, so my, my final points. I came into this thinking that Williamson is kind of mid as a writer. I leave it thinking the same thing. At what point did Amanda Waller's children get names?
1: In the new fifty-two or before? Well, well,
0: in this in this epilogue, uh, that again was not required, and I regret. She has three children that she she summons to protect: Coretta, Martin, and Jesse. And I'm like, that is just really, it's so obvious, right? What the what you are doing, um, as a as a writer, whoever did that, and I. Don't know if that's really true to the character, and it's just...
1: That would be um. Rob Williams. I read the annual, like, a week ago, which had one of the kids, and I think it started with a... One of them started with a B? And I
2: know... I mean, her son was was named after the father, so it was Joseph and Joseph Jr., but I don't remember the names of the other kids pre-52. They were never really... Factors in those stories. Uh, okay, I think that might
0: cover it. That's all I got. All right, that means it's time. But Justice League versus Suicide Squad—really, only those six issues? Because that's all you should read from this on the big board. All
2: right. Well, why don't? So we're above Hunt for Harley Quinn because yes. it is not offensive and. Painful, or that painful in that way, at least.
1: Can I suggest you check other G C events like Zero Hour?
2: Yeah, that's that's kind of where my brain was going. Uh So Zero Hour is down at two thirty nine. How are you feeling in relation to that, Will? There's more Batman here than there is there.
0: Zero Hour had a lot more nonsense going on and while I thought a lot of this was uninteresting it at least wasn't like the cosmic nonsense of Zero Hour so I would I would probably put this above above that okay
2: then final well, it's, not, it's not going to approach final night up at 126 because that despite all the cosmic whatever there is a much more grounded in human story
1: Checking Underworld Unleashed, right in the world. Yeah, yeah under, check Underworld Unleashed wherever that is on your
2: list. One seventy six. I think we might be in between Underworld and Zero Hour. So that's between. So I mean, that's still a pretty wide span between one seventy six and two thirty nine.
1: Got any Justice League stories in between there? Not really.
2: Okay. Well, here's oh, here's a thought. 233 Officer Down. It's a, a crossover. It is, of course, more inherently Batman. It is also remarkably padded. Yes. It's more
0: padded than this. Yeah. Uh I would I would reread this before Officer Down. The the six issues, anyway. <laughs> yeah. This
1: has a three act structure right. in it. it
2: I'm thinking somewhere in the 2 teens. That's that's where where my eye is falling right now. 2 teens, 20s, upper 20s. I'd put this above overdrive at 221. Yeah, yeah. I was that, that's but I would not put it above 206, Legends of the Dark might, the bat uh Batmite Bob Overdog story because that's kind of wacky and fun and does its thing it gets in and it gets out okay let me let me give you a number. okay new 218 below the first appearance of Damien above the Tom King story where he doesn't realize that just because you have a PhD it doesn't mean you can do brain surgery. yeah that
0: is as a bad bad story there.
1: Yes, this has a better Harley Quinn than that one. It does.
2: It gets, it gets that Harley can't do brain surgery. And not... she can't
1: beat Wonder Woman.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, she can't. Harley is fun here. And she never quite stretches into some of the more intensely overbearing Harliness that you can get in some of the New 52 and Rebirth stuff.
1: It had a good dead shot moment in issue one where he thought he was going to die and he pulled out a picture of his daughter. And it also had Killer Croc tearing a shark in half, getting into a blood feud with Aquaman.
2: Croc versus shark. Now we we know who wins. All right. That does it for tonight. John, thank you for coming on the show.
1: Yeah. Next time I'm going to bring bad comics. Oh, hooray. I'm thinking Uh, something Jeff Johns related or maybe even countdown (laughs)
2: tie-ins. Next week, uh, our other Dick Grayson tier packer, Josh Wheel, will be by with three times Batman Got Superpowers. We'd like to thank our Patreon backers, Dan Grote, Josh Wheel, Mrs. Abigail
0: Hartbaum,
2: (laughs) Asimov Fangirl, Tony Thornley,
0: Go, youts.
2: Sam, Sam Hopper, John Wickham. Yeah. Robert Secundus, Bobby Tubug, Tim Rooney, Giorgio Seragioli, David Wheel, Alexander Wheel, and Matt McThorne for the show. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Batchat Comics, and the show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music Slash Audible, and ComicsXF.com. Where new episodes drop every Thursday. You can support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash bat chat with Matt and Will, where you can get shout outs, bonus content, pick a story, and even come on the show.
1: What's the Patreon bonus episode that ah, they can get?
2: The Patreon bonus episode this month will be the new Amazon uh, Married Little Batman, which we will be recording this weekend.
1: That's December's bonus episode. Yes. January's has yet to be decided, I guess.
2: Yep, we we usually
1: figure those out on the fly.
2: Uh, If you'd like to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three C's, comics, cinema, and cats, you can follow me on Twitter at MattLaz1013. And I'm at Will Nevin. I'm also
0: out of here. Good night, Huntsville.
2: And be sure to visit ComicsXF at ComicsXF.com or at ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat roundup of new Bat Books my other show, WMQ&A, where my longtime best friend, Dan Grote, and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople, as well as all the other stuff Will and I are writing. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark.